Again, we're in 1 Samuel 21. And just because you're used to it, I'm not even going to explain myself other than the fact that I'm using the Christian Standard Bible as opposed to the BSP. Maybe today, maybe forever, who knows. Um, but by way of introduction, have you ever faced an event or faced a situation or a season in your life? And to be honest, you don't know what you were doing at all. Um, you don't know what was the, what was the right thing to do. You, maybe there were some moral implications, some moral dilemmas going on, and you don't know if you've landed in the right zone every time, or if you've made the right decision. This is a really strange episode in David's life that we're about to look at. Because what we've had is Saul and David. Saul was called to be king of Israel, and then he blew it. And God said through the prophet Samuel that the kingdom is no longer Saul's. It's been given, quote, to a neighbor who is better than Saul. And though Saul didn't immediately suspect that this was David, David rises to fame. Once he slays a Goliath, slays a giant named Goliath. That took me four sermons to preach that story. And once David starts getting songs sung about him, true story, Saul is jealous. And first, Saul just takes David in and he makes him commander of the army. And he sends him out into battles against the Philistines, likely hoping that he'll die at their hands, which never happens. And so it's just this constant success. And as far as God is concerned, Saul has lost the throne. But Saul's never repented, and it's led to his madness and his vendetta against David. Immediately preceding 1 Samuel 21 in chapters 19 and 20, there were some significant watershed moments to where a third time, and the last time David could stand it, King Saul tried to spear him. Now, I would be done after the first time, but... Maybe David thinks, well, this is the king. I should cut him some slack, give him some grace. So he's been in there three times, and he's Saul has tried to spear him. Saul has had this bit between his teeth to murder David. And we saw that it was making him butt heads with his son Jonathan and his daughter Michael, who's married to David. Jonathan wanted to believe that his dad Saul had changed in the last time. Saul had swore that he was not going to kill David. And so David and Jonathan hatched this plan to fill out Saul. And Saul flew off the handle. And sure enough, he was incensed and enraged. And he told Jonathan, go fetch David, because he wants to kill David. And in the chapter immediately previous, previous, David has officially fled town. He's officially a fugitive. This is his wandering years, and, and these are the years... Saul is just consumed with hunting him down and killing him. So that's the story. David's running, and I do invite you to stand in honor of hearing the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we'll just read the entire chapter together. There's a few names in here, and I did my research. So if you say, is that really how that's pronounced? I think so. (laughs) David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David answered the priest Ahimelech, The king gave me a mission. But he told me, Don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I've ordered you to do. 
I have stationed my young men at a certain place. Now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, There is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread. But the Lord, but the young men may eat it if only they have kept themselves from women. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So of course their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. One of Saul's servants detained before the Lord was there that day. His name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Do you have a spear or sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapons, since the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. There's none like it, David said. Give it to me. David fled that day from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of Gath. But King Achish King but Achish's servants said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. David took this to heart and became very afraid of King Achish of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Look, you can see this man is crazy. Achish said to his servants, Why did you bring him to me? Do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is this one going to come into my house? Let's pray. <laughs> Father, um, we thank you that the scriptures you've written for us are painfully real. Um, that not only can we open up them, your scriptures, to see prophetic and profound truths that touch us, but also we can see people like us, people in situations that that are kind of like the situations we face. And so we ask for your help, Holy Spirit, to use these words to speak to our hearts and minds today. Help us to gain a greater knowledge, a greater love, and a greater trust for you and your sovereign plan, as well as your forgiveness and the way you work in and through things. Father, we ask that you would be the one speaking and not me. And so I pray that uh, my voice would not be heard, but yours would. And we pray that your um, <clears throat> your people's hearts and minds and ears would be open to receive your word. We thank you again, Lord Jesus, for your death and your resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you were here last week, I revealed to you that... Uh, I have been reading to Landon the super serious, deeply theological works of the Bernstein Bears. And as far as I can tell, in the early years, so I think they started writing the books around the 60s, all the way up through the 90s, Stan and Jan Bernstein were writing primarily moral works, stories to demonstrate you shouldn't lie or you should clean up your room, you should get along with your friends. I haven't done thorough research, but it seems like later in life, I, I remember reading somewhere that they became Christians. And uh, their son, who writes the Berenstein Bears books now, is definitely a Christian. But one of the books I never read growing up, I, I ordered it here a few years ago, is a book from the 90s 
called the Bernstein Bears and the Big Question. And I don't know how I feel about it exactly. The, the big question is, what's God? Not who's God, but what's God? From little sister bear to her parents. And the answers seem pretty biblical. He made everything. And the climax of the story is the bear family sees Papa Bear's parents going to church. And so for a change, Mama Bear drags the family to church. It's actually a very Quaker church. (laughs) The preacher there surprises the congregation by saying that they will be the ones doing the preaching. And in other words, it turns into what we like to call open worship. And the bears are getting up and they're all, they all end up saying thank you for different things. Thank you for the beautiful scenery. Uh, thank you for visiting attendees and so forth. And on the way back home, Sister Bear, thinking about the explanation she had been given, that God made everything, she asks her parents, did God make questions? <laughs> and Papa Bear responds, yes, mostly questions. And it leaves a bit of a, I don't know, while I get it, I don't believe God is altogether unknowable. And we're told quite a lot about him in, in this book, if you ever read it. And But I bring this up to say that this passage gives me questions. <laughs> and it gives readers likely more questions than answers, because often in the Bible we might forget that we're presented with real people during real events. And especially in in Old Testament narratives, there are times that it seems blatant sins pass before our eyes, and we don't hear the ethical, moral perspective of God on it right away, or maybe even never. Or we might think that the consequences are that are happening are God's judgments, but we don't know because the author said, and because they did this, this happened. There is something missing in this entire passage. David's fled, or he's trying to flee the presence of Saul, but where is he to go? What's he supposed to do? All the author does right now is show us what he's doing, but something is missing. One of my commentators brings up on various occasions, references made to David's inquiring of the Lord with respect to where he should go and what he should do. No such reference is recorded in the present chapter. What will come of all this? And so the first question that I have of this passage is the question that Ahimelech has here as we read in verse 1. He says, Whereas David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob, Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, and so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? Is David alone? That's my question. And more to the spiritual sense, as I just mentioned from that commentator, has he inquired of the Lord? Is he running in fear, not knowing where to go? And and has he not asked God where to go? Ahimelech is afraid to meet him. We're not given much more info than that, or maybe we are by his two questions actually stating the same thing. Why are you alone and no one is with you? Some wonder if this is Ahimelech just being nervous, or is it a subtle attempt Subtle attempt, there's a P in there, um, for Ahimelech to say in speak that Ahimelech is not alone. Ahimelech could know, and we're going to meet in verse 7, that Doeg works for Saul. 
Doeg works for Saul, and we'll talk about that. But some have wondered if this is Ahimelech subtly alerting David. Why are you alone? Is no one with you? I got someone with me. <laughs> then David has this whopper. David answered the priest Ahimelech, The king gave me a mission, but he told me, Don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on, or what I have ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at a certain place. David referring to his own army, even if he has one. He fled from Saul and Jonathan in the previous chapter, seemingly alone, and he's going to wind up in Gath, seemingly, seemingly alone as well. As far as a mission for the king... What David here is saying is just not true. In fact, we know David is running from the king. And so, some have looked at this and said, and David's lie leads to another spoiler, if you didn't know this, but Ahimelech and all the priests at Nob in the next chapter are going to be slaughtered by that man, Doeg. How dare David? But still other people say, no, David's trying to spare Ahimelech by not revealing what he's doing. And then if the courts above him are actually more just, which under Saul, good luck, Ahimelech could say that he didn't know what David was up to. And so in other words, he wouldn't be held accountable for aiding a fugitive. So the truth is, is we don't know. We don't know what David's up to other than just running from Saul. We don't know how much Ahimelech knows or what he suspects. And it leaves us to wonder, like Ahimelech first wondered, is David alone? What is... His plan, has he asked God, is he on a mission for the king of of Israel? Or some have said, here's what David meant, he's on a plan for the king of kings. He's on a mission for the king of kings. Maybe that's what David was saying. And I think people just do that to whitewash David and say he wouldn't lie. I don't know. And the next question I have that this passage raises, is it okay to eat the bread? Now some of you said, well, we heard what Frank read. Put that out of your mind for now. Let's just look at it with fresh eyes. David has fled so quickly from Saul that likely David's primary pace of living, since he was in the palace, was probably close proximity to Saul. So he didn't want to go home for any provisions. And so he asks, under the guise of his lie, now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is the consecrated bread. David is likely at the tabernacle. Now this is before Jerusalem has the temple. Some of you slightly familiar with your Old Testament should know everything happens at the temple. Well, this is before the temple, before Jerusalem. In fact, David, when he's king, is the one who makes Jerusalem the capital of Israel. So Jerusalem's not a big town right now. Isaiah 10.32 tells us Nob is in close proximity to Jerusalem, actually. And some have recognized it as a town that is two miles northeast of Jerusalem. But the tabernacle is apparently in Nob. Now, if you know your book of 1 Samuel, you should have remembered of a town named Shiloh. It was Shiloh where Samuel, the prophet's mother, Hannah, came and prayed and asked for Samuel. It was also here where a priest named Eli was kind of overseeing the tabernacle. And then, at a war with the Philistines, Shiloh was burnt to the ground. And since then, a few cities seem to have been worship centers or maybe have housed the tabernacle from time to time. And apparently, Nob is one of those places. I compared a few verses for you, and if you're truly interested, they're in your outline. But we learned 
that Ahimelech is actually the great grandson of Eli. And Samuel came into Shiloh as a very young boy to a very old Eli. Samuel is now a very old man himself. But one of the first prophetic messages that Samuel received is that Eli and his lineage would be a cursed line. It's actually why God began to speak through Samuel. Samuel is now out of commission as a prophet because Saul didn't like what Samuel had to say about his kingdom. So whenever you don't want to listen to truth, you just get rid of it. So Ahimelech is now part of the tainted line of priests. David's asking for the consecrated bread, also called the show bread, also called the bread of the presence from this priest. There are directions for this particular bread in places like Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. And I know all of you are painfully very familiar. You read Leviticus every day. So, but I'm going to still jog your memory. There are words like Leviticus 24, verse 9, which states the bread belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place, for it is the holiest portion for him from the food offerings to the Lord. This is a permanent rule. Only the Levites, only the priests are supposed to eat it, says the law. That is a permanent rule. And this is the only bread that's at Nob right now. The priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread, but the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. Can he do that? <laughs> Can that priest do that? Is it okay to eat the bread? I, I don't know if he can do that, but he's doing it. It's happening. And furthermore, look at what David says. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us, as always when I go out to battle. He's not going out to battle. He's just per perpetuating the lie that he is. He's still running away from Saul. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So, of course, their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. In other words, a fresh batch of bread was made. It was made and prepared and set out before the Lord every Sabbath. We don't know if this was Sabbath when David approached Ahimelech or not. But are you getting this? It's a priest in a cursed line. I dare you to go back whenever you have time. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 30 through 33. David's lying about what he's doing. Take it easy on him, Kevin. He's running from Saul, but still. And the priests blatantly breaking the law and handing out the showbread, misusing sacrifices was actually something Eli's crooked sons as priests did. Their mishandling of sacrifices. That's why they were in trouble. So was it okay to eat the bread? Then the author pulls back to reveal something. And it actually may shed light on the conversation so far. We read in verse 7, One of Saul's servants, detained before the Lord, was there that day. His name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. So one of Saul's servants, chief of Saul's shepherds, and actually on this word shepherds, follow me, but the Hebrew word, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew, at least this part. The Hebrew word for this word shepherd looks a lot like the Hebrew word used for guards 
in 1 Samuel 22.17. When Doeg is actually back at Nob slaughtering everyone, he is called one of the chief of Saul's guards. So he either could have had two positions, or maybe through all the copying and copying and copying, this first Hebrew word was kind of messed up to say now he's a shepherd and not a guard. Do you follow me? Could be that he's just a guard. Could be that he has two positions. I don't know. And at the end of chapter 22, after Doeg led this slaughter in Nob, David tells Ahimelech's son, he said, I knew that Doeg the Edomite was there that day and that he was sure to report to Saul. So we know that David fears him. And he know, we know that David now knows that Doeg is here at the tabernacle. So this goes back to that opening conversation between David and Ahimelech. There might be double talk going on. Uh, Ahimelech may have let on when he was asking him twice, Who are you? Are you alone? Maybe he was really trying to say without arousing Doeg's suspicion, Hey, someone's here, David. Someone you should be leery about. And maybe more than try to lie or fool Ahimelech, maybe David wants to confuse Doeg. See, Saul had blatantly commanded the killing of David to his sons and all his servants. That's Doeg is part of Saul's servants. But then Saul showed signs of wavering after that command and promising to not kill him and receiving David back as the liar player who soothes his mad mind before he decided to throw a spear at him again. So it's not beyond me to suspect that Doeg could be confused. I don't get it. Is the policy now kill David or let him live? (laughs) What are we supposed to do? And it could be that David is just trying to play off that confusion. I'm on a secret mission for the king. And maybe he could be really putting that on for a pretense for Doeg. We don't know. Just a lot of intrigue going on. But we do know that Doeg's presence has alarmed David so much that perhaps he fears being followed. So maybe that's why he asks Ahimelech in verse 8, Do you have a spear or a sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapons since the king's mission was urgent, which to me is just another tip to let us know he's lying. Because if the king comes to you to carry on a secret urgent mission, you'd probably make sure you're fully equipped with weapons and probably fully equipped with food. But here is David at the tabernacle looking for those things, because I always go to the church to look for a gun. So, rather, the author uh, had revealed to us that Doeg is there, and it seems like with that information, David asks for a weapon. We read on verse 9. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod which is a holy vestment, some holy furniture in the tabernacle. But some like to scratch their head about Goliath's sword, and they say, but it says in the David versus Goliath chapter that David took that sword back to his tent. And who knows how many years have happened since that incident. And perhaps David had the sword dedicated to God at the tabernacle in some ceremony. Who knows? The priest says, if you want to take it for yourself, then take it. There isn't another one here. And we will see the consequences of not having any weapon there next chapter as Ahimelech and all those stationed at Nob are defenseless and slaughtered. There's none like it, David said. Give it to me. Now, 
David could be thinking and recalling, here's the massive sword. And it was for a giant after all. And it is a giant that God slew for David. And if David can take down a warrior giant, maybe God can take down the giant of a king who is pursuing him. Maybe David says it that way. There's none like it. And that's the the question that David might have. He's on the run. And in fact, in uh, chapter 19, verse 18, David had ran to Samuel one time after Saul tried to kill him. And 40 billion years ago when I preached this, actually last July, when we were last in 1 Samuel, I speculated that it's possible David could be having this conversation with Samuel. Okay, you anointed me privately, but when do I get to be king? (laughs) Hopefully before the king we have now kills me. That would be great. So I wonder if David is taking this sword, because no doubt it has to be oversized for him, more as a token. Sure, as defense, likely from Doeg, maybe he suspects him, but also as a token that is God going to pull another Goliath for me? Because so far, it's been like, for me at least, this glaring question throughout the whole passage. Where's God? Where Where is he? The anointed king is on the run. The anointed king seems to be showing up, lying, and then a jacked up priest is breaking up, breaking the law by serving him holy bread. And where's the king in all this? But then it gets weirder. As we ask our last question, is David conversing with the enemy? Um, as David lies, after David lies and he gets the showbread only meant for priests and he takes the sword and he leaves the creepy guy named Doeg, we read that David fled that day from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of Gath. Like, of course, why not? <laughs> That's, this is like reading, and Kevin left Woodland in the middle of the night. He drove to Newburgh. He lied to the superintendent to say, Woodland friends fired me, and he asked to borrow some money to live off for a while, and he got on a plane and headed to North Korea. That's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> Maybe that's a bit overboard. <laughs> but we can make a little bit of sense of David's madness. Excuse the pun. He's going to be feigning madness. But he's on the run, and he's on the run from King Saul, and he's on the run from at least the part of Israelites army that's loyal to Saul, so maybe running into enemy territory and uh, Israel's most long-standing rivals in the book of 1 Samuel so far makes sense. Maybe he wants to shake off any pursuers. I can follow that. Others have said more than shake off pursuers, he wants to join their rank. He intends to offer his servicers, services as a mercenary. And in 1 Samuel 27, it seems he does defect, allying allying himself to this Achish that he meets. So, did God and and David talk about all this? Was this a good plan? I mean, what's David doing here? How is a king of Israel going to rule Israel from Philistia? And he's in Gath. That's where Goliath was from. Maybe David just wants to return the sword. I don't know. What's going on? But Achish, here's that wonderful apostrophe S, But King A's servants said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed thousands, but David has tens of thousands. Now that's one of the songs that drove King Saul crazy, literally. And among the thousands that David had killed were indeed Philistines. Lots of them. Furthermore, David hasn't been really in any public way called king yet. 
It could be that Saul has publicly complained that he feared that David was trying to take the throne from him, and the Philistines have heard of it. When David took this, which is what King Achish, the servants are saying about him, to heart, and became very afraid of King Achish of Gath, so he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Look, you can see the man is crazy, Achish said to his servants. Why did you bring him to me? Do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is this one going to come into my house? Just a great, solid, logical ending to this chapter here, right? Like, what in the world is happening? David should be king, yet here he is running. He's lying. He's eating bread that it seems like he shouldn't eat. He's going to the enemy's camp. He's feigning madness. Like, what happened to the confidence of the David who just had a slingshot, a rock, and stood up to the wielder of the sword, now in his hands, and declared, declared, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. And now David's strategy is to feign madness, hoping he's not attacked, hoping he's not marked as a threat by the Philistine king. What in the world? Where is the king? Well, which one are you talking about? The one trying to kill David or the one in Philistia? <laughs> uh, where is the king of kings in the story? Where is God? And sometimes life is like this, I feel like. Like, I don't know, I got into predicament. I don't know where God was. I did things. Were they right? Maybe not. Did God approve? I don't know. Probably not. All I know is that there was just a bunch of questions I couldn't answer. Is David alone or did he seek the Lord? Is it okay to eat the bread? Is God going to pull another Goliath? Is David conversing with the enemy? And you know, in this passage, as I brought up from that commentator, this passage where it just seems God is absent, where it seems that David is usually inquiring of the Lord, but we don't see that here. What we do see are a bunch of sketchy actions from a man who should be after God's own heart. I love that Jesus redeems this passage. I love that Jesus speaks into this very passage. God in the flesh, the same God who has called King David to be king, the same God who has indeed rejected Saul, anointed David, but appears to be absent in this passage, uses this very passage to make a point about his character. I love that. It's like a whisper from years ahead of David's time to say, I was there. I was there the whole time. I didn't leave David. He wasn't alone. He was welcome to my bread. I was, and I did pull another Goliath. I did protect him from his enemies. And of course, David would know that God would protect him and give him the, his promised kingdom in due time. We heard Frank read for us in Mark, Jesus' disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath to eat. And apparently this picking grain was just too strenuous to do on the Sabbath, according to the offended religious people of Jesus' day. Uh, the Pharisees may have been looking to places like Exodus 20, Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 5. Those passages are all in your outlines. Look those up when you get a chance. But the Pharisees may have been looking to those passages and probably some Jewish traditional writings to conclude 
that Jesus and the disciples, what they were doing was against the law. They were preparing food, picking those grains. But Jesus refers to this story in this passage right here, and he says, Ahimelech was really in the right here, wasn't he? I mean, listen to the wording Jesus uses here. He said to them, have you never read what David and those who were with him? Well, and actually Jesus reveals right there that David did have people with him. Apparently David didn't make that up, because I just believe Jesus had his word. Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest. Abiathar is Ahimelech's son. Jesus is likely just narrowing down the time to a general era. But David ate the bread of the presence. Now listen to this line. Which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And also gave some to his companions. Here's the biggest understatement of the world. Jesus is not dumb. Uh, He flat out says here, which is not lawful, right? It's It's a permanent rule for the priests, the law said. So I've literally heard some person who calls him a pastor, and that shows you my respect for the man, repeat over and over, Jesus broke the law for love. Now that might lead some to believe that somehow Jesus just condones our picking and choosing the law. I don't think that's the point of what Jesus is saying here. I think Jesus adds common sense and heart to the law. There's a reason why some decent higher courts may have turned a blind eye when coming across German people who were sheltering Jewish or communist people in their houses from the Nazis. There's a reason why a cop might let a person who's speeding their pregnant wife to the hospital off the hook for speeding. God's heart in his law is for people to thrive, not to suffer. God's heart is for people to live and not die. For the Sabbath issue, Jesus says around the same subject in Mark 3, 4, then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But those religious Pharisees who apparently know the heart of God were silent. I put a few words in that part. The point is, is it's lawful to do good. It's lawful to save life. God's concerned about that stuff. God actually loves people. And it seems like Pharisees and people like the Pharisees want to believe that God's glory and his being obeyed and his being in charge comes even at the cost of God's mercy. Not so, says Jesus. God does not remove his mercy to be glorified. His mercy adds to his glory. Jesus' disciples were hungry. Matthew lets us in on that in his tell of the story in Matthew 12. David's on the run and is hungry. Ahimelech, whether he's supposed to be the priest at Nob, being part of that rejected line of Eli or not, Jesus says at least this man understood God's law here. So where was God in David's fearful wandering in his running? God was feeding David. He fed the Israelites manna and quail. He would feed Elijah years down the road from David with with some birds. And he's feeding David right here out of the tabernacle from his own bread. So here's what I want you to know. We have a king who is never absent. You ever have days or seasons like this? God, I have more questions than answers. I'm just going to level 
with you. It's been a hard week concerning my boys. And we all know the cliches. Well, God gave you these children because he entrusted you to be the best parents for them. Yeah, and that really helps. God, I don't have the tools in my toolbox for this. I don't have a manual for this. I don't have the patience for this. Where are you, God? Did you hand me a train wreck to watch? But I have a feeling that he's closer than I expect. Right? I have a feeling that by His grace, years on down the road, I might hear whispers and see pictures of where He was right now. In this place, in this very season, these very moments. That's my encouragement for you. If you have more questions than answers right now, if things just don't look right, don't seem right, if the world seems so fallen and too fallen for a person who's a professing Christian, longing to be in His kingdom, know that our King is not absent. He's here right now. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this truth. Uh, We look through this passage and we see a lot of questions, but I'm so thankful that this passage where it seems so ambiguous, what is David doing? Is any of this right? That in the flesh You redeemed that season and You... You took a truth right out of this most weird season of David's life. And you said, this this reflects my character. This is who I am. I love people. I want to feed people. Father, we pray that for those of us who may be going through seasons and we have more questions than answers, that we would hold on to the truth that you're not absent. It may be months, years until we realize what you're doing right now, how you're showing up but we can hold on to this truth from Your Word that You're not absent. You're very close to us. You're speaking to us. Help us to have ears to hear You. Help us to have a faith that trusts You when nothing else seems to allow us to trust You. Father, we thank You for this truth and we love You. We ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.